Hello everyone, I'm Ian McAllister. And I'm Oliver Kinner. And this is Brainwaves episode 115, bringing the best in tabletop gaming news. These are the headlines for the week of 6th of February 2023. Wizards casts Counterspell. Hasbro shrinks. ITB employees think outside the box. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves. A little correction before we start the cast, folks. When I was interviewing Linda Cadega on the last cast, she said the gypsy allegory race in Ravenloft was called the Rabani, but they're called the Vistani. I didn't check that at the time. Sorry about that. Yes, our first story today actually harkens back to our last episode. On our last cast, we covered in some detail the origins of the open gaming license, OGL, for Dungeons & Dragons and the controversy surrounding Wizards' planned changes to the license. A little reminder that the OGL has allowed companies to make content for Dungeons & Dragons since 3rd edition D&D, and many companies had built their future around that license. When Wizards tried to make some major changes to it recently, that would be an end to how open the license really was, there was a massive backlash from the community. Since then, Wizards have opened up the process regarding changes to the OGL and sought feedback from the community. In a post on D&D Beyond on the 27th of January, Kyle Brink, the executive producer for D&D, updated the community on the current responses to OGL 1.2, as it is now being referred to. We'll now read from that post in full. When you give us playtest feedback, we take it seriously. Already more than 15,000 of you have filled out the survey. Here's what you said. 88% do not want to publish TTRPG content under OGL 1.2. 90% would have to change some aspect of the business to accommodate OGL 1.2. 89% are dissatisfied with deauthorizing OGL 1.0a. 86% are dissatisfied with the draft VTT policy. 62% are satisfied with including systems reference document in brackets SRD content in Creative Commons and the majority of those who were dissatisfied asked for more SRD content in Creative Commons. These live survey results are clear. You want OGL 1.0a. You want irrevocability. You like Creative Commons. The feedback is in such high volume, and its direction is so plain that we're acting now. First, we're leaving OGL 1.0a in place, as is, untouched. Second, we're also making the entire SRD 5.1 available under a Creative Commons license. Third, you choose which you prefer to use. This Creative Commons license makes the content freely available for any use. We don't control that license and cannot alter or revoke it. It's open and irrevocable in a way that doesn't require you to take our word for it. And its openness means there's no need for a VTT policy. Placing the SRD under a Creative Commons license is a one-way door. There's no going back. Our goal here is to deliver on what you wanted. So, what about the goals that drove us when we started this process? We wanted to protect the D&D play experience into the future. We still want to do that with your help. We are grateful that this community is passionate and active because we'll need your help protecting the game's inclusive and welcoming nature. We wanted to limit the OGL to TTRPGs. With this new approach, we are setting that aside and counting on your choices to define the future of play. Here's a PDF of SRD 5.1 with a Creative Commons license. 
By simply publishing it, we place it under an irrevocable Creative Commons license. We'll get it hosted in a more convenient place next week. It was important that we take this step now, so there's no question. And then there's a link to the SRD 5.1 Creative Commons license PDF. We'll be closing the OGL 1.2 survey now. We'll keep talking with you about how we can better support our players and creators. Thanks, as always, for continuing to share your thoughts. Carl Brink, executive producer, Dungeons & Dragons. So to summarize that a little bit, they're leaving the original OGL, the, or what they call OGL 1.0A in that piece, completely untouched. And the majority of the Dungeons & Dragons rules will be available in a Creative Commons systems resource document for anyone to use as they see fit. Now, after the original announcement, many publishers and designers said that they would be creating their own open gaming license and system resource documents. The biggest of those was Paizo, who are the publishers of Pathfinder, and they claimed to have up to 1,500 publishers signed up with them. Over two tweets, Paizo said this. We welcome today's news from Wizards of the Coast regarding their intention not to deauthorize OGL 1.0a. We still believe there is a powerful need for an irrevocable, perpetual, independent, system-neutral open license that will serve the tabletop community via non-profit stewardship. Work on the ORC license will continue, with an expected first draft to release for comment to participating publishers in February. Now, it's worth noting here that our friends over at the Smart Party podcast, which is an RPG podcast in the UK, we urge you to check out. We're recently discussing the OGL along with uh, Matt from Steamforge Games, who published the Dark Souls RPG under 5th edition, amongst other games. They had heard that some of the publishers on the list that Paizo claimed to have had, these 1,500 publishers, were interested in the orc, but hadn't really signed on the dotted line as yet. So this seems like a huge win for the community, with the slight caveat that we still don't know what a new version of the OGL is actually going to look like, if there is one at all. The move to put Dungeons & Dragons, a lot of the core rules, into a Creative Commons was a massive move that surprised the community. The reaction across the community was one of shock, almost. And it does feel to me like they pulled the rug out from underneath like Paizo. What do you think, Oliver? Yeah, I mean, I don't really know too much about it, but yeah, watching the news and developing, obviously the community has responded and the community has won uh, quite rightly, uh, I think. Yeah. Some of the decisions that uh, were made were clearly just about making money and not really realistic. If you look at the business model that they were thinking about, you know, license, uh, yeah, yeah. license fees and, and how that was calculated, I think we mentioned that in the, in the previous cast about, well, what is it? Is it about revenue? Is it about income? Where, where does it all fit? So, yeah, hopefully the new OGL will actually be much better and more sensible, but we're yet to see what that's going to look like until it's actually being published. Or maybe it's all because their parent company's in trouble. Yes, um, it turns out that Hasbro, the parent company of Wizards of the Coast, has announced layoffs to cut costs. The layoffs amount to about 15% of the total workforce, or around 1,000 staff. The decision follows losses at Hasbro of around 17% year-on-year and will save the company around $250 to $300 million by 2025. CEO Chris Cox said that everything other than Wizards of the Coast and digital gaming segment underperformed. Against the backdrop of a challenging holiday consumer environment. He went on to say in a press release on Hasbro's investor site, we are focused on implementing transformational changes aimed at substantially reducing costs and increasing our growth rates and profitability. 
while the full year 2022, and particularly the fourth quarter, represented a challenging moment for Hasbro, we are confident on our Blueprint 2.0 strategy, unveiled in October, which includes a focus on fewer, bigger brands, gaming, digital, and our rapidly growing direct-to-consumer and licensing businesses. Through this strategy, we are putting the consumer at the center of everything we do, and our operational excellence program is on track to drive significant cost savings across the business and improve our overall competitiveness. These strategic pillars help to improve our results, particularly operating profit margin and revenue growth in key categories in a challenging fourth quarter, and lay the groundwork for continued progress in 2023. Regarding the layoffs, he said, The elimination of these positions will impact many loyal Hasbro employees, and we do not undertake this process lightly. However, the changes are necessary to return our business to a competitive, industry-leading position and to provide the foundation for future success. We would like to remind listeners that it wasn't very long ago that Cynthia Williams, the CEO of Wizards of the Coast, said that D&D is, and I quote, under-monetized. So if you put this announcement together with the OGL moves, you wonder whether there is a link somewhere. You know, we've lost in profits, so we need to make money back. So how can we make money? Well, here we go. D&D is making lots of money. Can we make more money out of it? So yeah, I wonder whether there is a link there. Yeah, companies like this obviously have a legal obligation to update their investors and the markets as to what their performance is. But Hasbro have known that this announcement's coming for some time, uh, very likely back in November of December of last year, which is when we started to see all the OGL announcements come out and the reassurances that everything would be fine, and then it wasn't fine. Uh, yeah, and you've you've got to wonder if like that they are looking at like this like this piece says Wizards of the Coast and the digital gaming segment are the only segments of the company that are not underperforming. So there's two possibilities there: either they try to mine more money out of it, or they sell it as an asset. Would they sell Wizards of the Coast? Maybe, possibly, if they're looking Watch to make space. money for other things. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it seems to me they can make a lot of money there for them, but I don't. So I don't think so. But they could do. Who knows? Depends where their focus is. Well, Absolutely. other than big companies being in trouble, there are other uh, publishers also in trouble. Indeed. It seems that issues at Inside the Box in the UK may be reaching a climax. In a January 26th post to the Subterra 2 Kickstarter, designer of Subterra 2, Tim Pinder, released a statement in an update. They did this alongside the Spanish, French, and German language edition publishers, Who Are in Order, Second Gate Games, Nuts Publishing, and Schwerkraft Verlag. We're going to read from parts of that statement now. Dear Subterra backers, fans, and board game community at large, after recent news about Subterra 2 being sold in North America, we feel it is time to share what we know about the progress of the project. US backers of this long-awaited game release deserve to be informed, and we want to distance ourselves from the silence offered by Inside the Box, the original license holder. First of all, our apologies for not releasing a statement earlier. The silence by ITB didn't affect only you, but also us as business partners and the designer of the game. ITB have not responded to any of our countless contact attempts. So we understand and share the nervousness that was communicated by many of you on Kickstarter, BoardGameGeek and other forums. We are all invested in this project with a huge amount of money, in brackets publishers, and time slash intellectual property, in bracket designer, so the delay, the silence, and the associated risk of the project falling through affects us the same way as you, but in an exponentially bigger dimension. Think of us as power backers with thousands of copies at risk, each. ITB have posted two apologetic updates in the last months, 
but they did not contain much information. So here are some facts that we can share from our side. We go into detail when the game will get to backers of these editions of the game, and then address the English edition of the game, from the statement. While we do not have any official confirmation or further information on the English edition, we assume that most of the Kickstarter and retail volume is produced, in brackets, with the exception of the units in the above list, and some smaller items, mostly cosmetic extras. Hopefully, the moulds being paid for by the French and German publishers helps ITB to pay the outstanding amount. What does this mean for you as an English edition backer? We can only refer you to ITB. We hope that they are okay and will post another update this month as promised. Our best wishes to ITB from our side. Two days later, on the 28th of January, an update from Peter Blankhorn appeared on the project. Peter is the head of ITB Games. In it, he says... To all backers, last month I promised that I would send out an update by the end of January with whatever news I had. As I said in the last update, I've been busy in the background working on solutions to complete the remaining parts of the project. I'm not in a position to give you concrete information on exactly when games will ship, in what order, etc. As I promised not to do so unless I was 100% confident of the results. What I can say at this stage, however, is that specific, significant progress has been made. I'm hoping to be able to give you all a much more clear picture of the remainder of this project soon, but regardless, I will update you all by the end of February as promised. Peter. Peter had posted a very similar update in January. Later that day, an ex-employee posted an update to the Kickstarter campaign as they presumably still had access. They posted as Inside the Box Games. This simply said, Peter still owes his employees wages, missing pension and redundancy. In the comments section of the page, someone posting as ITB Games posted, Ex-employee here. He still owes us missing pensions, wages and redundancy. We're all out thousands. He's completely refused to communicate with us. He shouldn't be allowed near another business. It's worth noting that that comment has since been removed by Kickstarter, presumably at Inside the Box's request. So, firstly, I'd like to say this. I've read through some of the comments under the employee comments saying that they are missing wages. And obviously, these folk have become desperate, posting in this manner to try and get something out of inside the box. Some of the comments responding to that were absolutely atrocious. Just worried about getting your games over the well-being of your fellow human beings. If you posted those comments, you should be thoroughly ashamed of yourselves and without any question. Just horrible stuff. Please don't do that. Secondly, I've never seen a designer do this. A designer for a game go on a Kickstarter campaign and post an update. Kind, not exactly trashing that company, but basically complaining about the lack of communication and not really knowing what's going on. Being very polite about it. It's, very, it's a very evenly, evenly handed post, but I've never ever seen a designer do that. I don't know if you have, Oliver? No, I haven't. I mean... There's obviously lots of things going wrong behind the scenes and people are getting desperate and you can understand that they want to vent their frustrations, rightfully so, whether this is the best way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we don't know what is actually going on. It is a bit frustrating that there isn't more communication happening, obviously. We we do want to see more. Um, So... If if anyone can reach out to us with more information, you know, first-hand information we're talking about, that would be really useful so we can get a much better picture of what's actually happening and, yeah, what, what might be happening next. 
Yeah, absolutely. I've reached out to uh, Inside the Box through their Twitter account, through their Facebook page, and through the contact form on their own website as well, asking for an interview and information. And we also put out a call on Twitter for ex-employees to get in touch with us. We haven't really heard of any uh, heard from anyone who was a recent employee, but if you were a recent employee in the sort of run-up to this stuff in the last year or so, year or two even, uh, in the run-up to these events, then please do get in touch with us. We'd like to talk to you. We can keep you completely anonymous if you'd like to be, or we can record you on the record. It's entirely up to you, but please do get in touch. Um, and let's face it, Peter has definitely mucked up here, but... He's very likely under a huge amount of stress and worry right now. Pierre, if you hear any of this or see any of our communications, then please do get in touch as we would like to talk to you. Now on to the updates. Way back in episode 39, we reported on Victoria Mann's allegations of sexual assault against games designer J.R. Honeycutt. In episode 94, we followed that up with the news that J.L. Honeycutt was suing Victoria and her raising funds for legal defense. We believe this case has now been settled, and a recent post by Victoria seems to confirm that. In a post on Medium called Thinking Back, Victoria posted, This references my previous article, with a link to the article. While I was hurting, I wrote the article and wanted J.R. Honeycutt to feel the same pain I was in. In my Medium.com post, Coming Forward to Move Forward, and in other posts I made on Facebook, Twitter, and Medium, I painted a picture about what happened in my relationship experiences with JR. I am retracting what I originally stated and implied. He did not physically abuse me, he did not sexually assault or rape me, and I have no knowledge that he has ever tried to get other women drunk to take advantage of them. I was hurt at the end of our relationship, and I made exaggeration out of this hurt. This was wrong to publicly display that, I deeply regret the harm it did to JR and his reputation. The previous article Victoria references here was a post that contained the allegations. The post remains live with an additional paragraph added at the top that says, I fully retract my statements in the article below. For context, please see this post with a link to the statement we've just read out. On the 23rd of January, it was announced that designer Serge Leggett had died. He was designer on many well-known titles, including Shadows Over Camelot, Mystery of the Abbey, and most recently, The Devilier. Designer Bruno Faduti published a tribute to his friend and co-designer, and many amongst the community expressed their sorrow at hearing the news. The entire team's thoughts are with his family and friends at this difficult time. Now, it's been a turbulent time in the world of crowdfunded tabletop games over the last couple of years. Shipping issues aside, the sector has seen rivals to Kickstarter into the fray, like Backerkit and GameFound. Talking to site Polygon, GameFound laid out its performance over last year. GameFound had planned to bring in $67.5 million in 2022. The figure represents around 25% of Kickstarter's revenue from tabletop projects in 2021. In the end, GameFound only brought in $28.3 million for new projects, an increase in its revenue of 45%. That's against Kickstarter's decline of $33 million in the tabletop category. GameFound also hadn't expected Backerkit to enter the tabletop crowdfunding business. Backerkit had formerly been the backend of a lot of campaigns, helping companies coordinate with backers. When it moved into the crowdfunding space, it did it with a bang and welcomed big companies such as Cephalofair to its platform, 
Martin Swierkot, founder of GameFound, told Polygon. If those campaigns would be at GameFound, we would definitely be closer to the number of $67.5 million. For 2023, GameFound has adjusted its goal to $50 million in backer crowdfunding. So even though GameFound isn't doing as well as it expected, I think it's obviously doing still quite well. And as I say, we're talking about Kickstarter actually declining on the tabletop category. And the excuse and brackets of backer kit entering the market, maybe GameFound should have thought about that in advance. But as I say, overall, I think it's actually quite exciting to see that GameFound is doing so well. And I think there was well, something in the article about requesting information from BackerKit, but they're saying that they're still in beta stage, so they don't want to publish any figures. They haven't officially launched the crowdfunding side of it. But if BackerKit enters as well, there'll be lots of competition. So that's exciting to see. Yeah, I mean, competition's good. Even if these companies don't succeed in the end, it does force Kickstarter to change its game and like try and get those companies back to their platform which might see some improvements in their side of things. So that's that's always good. I mean, I don't back a lot myself these days, but I can see the value of having multiple different platforms for crowdfunding, certainly. Definitely, definitely. The Belgian board game publisher Pearl Games is closing. Known for games such as Troy, Brussels 1893, Lagrangia and Gingopolis, it has been operating since 2010. It was bought by Asmodee in 2014, who have now announced the company's closure. In a press release on 30th of January 2023, the founder of Pearl Games, Sebastian Dujardin, says that All good things must come to an end. Asmodee will close the Pearl Games duty as of the end of March. However, there is a glimmer of hope. Later in the same press release, Sebastian goes on to say We are making arrangements with Asmodee so that I can retain the brand and catalogue of Pearl Games, moving forward as an independent publisher. In fact, Sebastian has several games already under development, but admits that it will take time to get everything organized. So watch the space, I guess. Is this a, do you think this is Asmodee looking to consolidate his games business all over? Or I think so. I mean, they've clearly been on a, a buying spree for years, and yeah, now absolutely. it's time to see what, what the rewards are and whether any of those brands are actually still fit into the portfolio of, of companies. And clearly, Pearl Games doesn't quite fit their model and good on Sebastian to get the rights to the uh, you know brand and the catalog of games and and go back independent as it was originally so good luck and uh, looking forward to seeing more games from Pearl Games yeah absolutely i mean maybe Asmodee are looking to the future and looking at the sort of the shrinking hobby games market Oliver yes news reaches us from germany sebastian wenzel from kulturgutspiel.de reports that the German hobby games and puzzles market's turnover decreased in 2022 by around 5%. Similarly, the Branchenverband Spieleverlage, the German industry body for toy publishers, reports that the German toy market as a whole also decreased by 5%. The German hobby games and puzzles market's drop in turnover is the first in eight years. In 2020, the industry enjoyed a rise of over 21%, And in 2021, turnover increased by 4%. For 2023, the industry expects a small amount of growth. The industry's turnover for 2022 was made up of 20% from the children's games market, around 33% from family and adult games, and this is of grown-up games, so there must be a different classification in Germany, how how the games are grouped by age rather than theme and things like that. And then there's 15% each from puzzles and card games. 
After years of successful escape room games, their demand has noticeably decreased in 2022. At the same time, puzzle and murder mystery games have increased in importance. The biggest spenders in 2022 is the 14 to 35-year age group, who mostly bought party games. So, I guess, you know, seeing drops and after a few increases... It's sort of the expected. We had, obviously, the increases during the pandemic when people couldn't go out, so they tried to entertain themselves at home, and obviously games were one of the things that they did. And, you know, you saw the rise of 21% in 2020. I mean, that's, that's, that's a huge increase, yeah. yeah. So seeing a 5% drop now in toys generally and board games and puzzle games and all that, I think that's not, not really um, too much of a surprise for us. What do you no, think? not really, especially when there's like a cost of living crisis worldwide and, and people are worried about like being able to pay their bills. So yeah, I can see people cutting back on luxuries like board games, which let's face it, they are a luxury. So definitely yeah, not, not, not a huge surprise, especially with a 21% rise in 2021. Yeah. It's unsurprising to see that downturn a little bit in the following years. Uh, it was 21% in 2020, but yeah, even, even so. I'm oh, sorry, 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just a huge rise, massive. So yeah, unsurprising to see that taper off a little bit. There's a bunch of events coming up, some of which I am going to. Aircon is going to be on the 9th and 12th of March at Harrogate Convention Centre. There's loads of exhibitors there, but it's very much a play-focused con. Uh, I will be there on from about sort of four-ish on the Thursday right through to the Sunday. Do come and say hi if you see me, and I'm looking forward to playing lots of games there. I'll be over in GothCon in Sweden from the 7th to 9th of April. It's an RPG-focused con, but uh, lots of board games and that kind of thing as well. Really looking forward to that. Hope to see some of our Swedish listeners there, if there are any out there. Compulsion is back. That's the local Edinburgh con, and that's from the 14th to 16th of April 2023 at uh, TV at Row House. It is primarily an RPG-focused con. It's had a three-year hiatus, but it's now back, and there'll be more information about that on its website as it reveals what's going on there. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. And finally, events-wise, Mori Games Jam is coming out. Now, when I was designing games, this was something I always meant to get along to, but never have. It's running from March 10th to 12th at the University of the Highlands and Islands in Elgin. And digital and tabletop groups can enter the jam and there'll be various workshops from guest speakers and industry veterans. So do check that out if you're a budding designer. Well, that's a long list of events you want to go to. Nice to see. Yeah, I can't make Aircon this year. It's a bit of a trip for me. I was sort of looking forward to it, but I've been doing the last couple of years. So have lots of fun. Um, We're going to miss each other, unfortunately. Ah, no worries. I'm sure we'll meet up at Conson. Which leads us nicely to our Patreon shout-out. So thanks again to all Discord members who have posted news and articles, first of all, and helped us source articles images. We also, as I say, want to shout-out to our patrons, James Naylor and Sean Newman. If you want to join our Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash thegiantbrain or go to our Support Us page on giantbrain.co.uk slash support hyphen us hyphen new. Of course, you can still get a uh, discount at Metallic Dice Games with the promo code ROLLWITHBRAINS, all one word. And finally, if you want to get some nice t-shirts and I think hoodies as well, lots of nice apparel at the Sir Meeple site that gives us a little bit of extra money as you buy stuff as well. Now, Jamie isn't here this episode, but that doesn't mean we will sweep the Monopoly news under the carpet. There's frankly too much of it, and I don't have a big enough rug. 
We've mentioned many times in the cast that there's a new Dungeons and Dragons film on the way. And what better way to celebrate it than by moving around a square board and exchanging money for properties? It sounds like this version will give Monopoly a bit of a twist. The token you choose, it matches one of the characters from the upcoming movie, and will all have a special ability. And the press release implies that you'll be seeking out adventures and useful items to help you along the way while trying to gather the most gold out of the party. There is even a Dungeon Master deck for a customized or advanced mode of play. Wow. And Oliver, while I was looking up this story, I learned that there are currently 3,471 official versions of Monopoly. And they're all in that person's cupboard, aren't they? I, can't I was going to say this. Yeah. gentleman we reported on last cast, I think, had something like 3,200 copies, so he's pretty close to having everything. That's kind of impressive. I think they're going to buy the Dungeons & Dragons version as well. I'm pretty sure. If not, someone should send them the copy. Yeah, and uh, according to their list, they'll buy it in several different languages as well. Of course, yeah. <laughs> as you wish. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. If you like what you've listened to, then the best way to help us out is to share the podcast and drop us a review and rating on iTunes. You can follow Oliver on tabletopgamesblog.com. That's where he puts all his articles. Our Discord is where you'll find us the most, and you can come and play games with us there. There'll be an invite in the show notes, and uh, we post about all our news, all our bits and pieces in there, all the articles on the site. Everything gets posted in there. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're the Giant Brain on all those sites. Our website is giantbrain.co.uk, and you can email us about anything in the cast or any news articles you'd like to get in touch. Or if you'd like to reach out to us privately and talk to us about any bits of news, please do. It's giantbrainuk at gmail.com. We'll be back in probably about three weeks' time. There might be a little bit delay to the next cast, and we'll see you then. Thanks, Dan. See you then. Thank you. Bye. Bye.